This is Sonic the Comic, the podcast. Your look back at the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the United Kingdom's official Sega comic. We're your Humes who think we're in charge. I'm Dave Bulmer. And I am Chris McFeely. And this episode, we've got another special guest with us. Yes, hello, it's me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, Hello, I'm Guy Kelly. I'm a comedian and writer and all that sort of thing. And I have a pretty unique skill that I am bringing to this podcast (laughs) because I can complete the first level of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on the Sega Mega Drive. <laughs> can you? Yeah. Oh, wow. I can. And not just that, I can do it <laughs> in under a minute. Oh, well. Wow. Yeah, well. And getting an extra life. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Well. Can you get some rings while you're at it? And blindfolded. <laughs> and using my feet to control it. These are true. He's not joking. This is a thing he does. This is a thing that I taught myself how to do. For Well, it ended up with Dara Brain Go 8-Bit becoming a television show. Uh, and that is in part <laughs> due to the fact that I played Sonic 2 with my feet. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the royalties come rolling in. Oh boy, howdy. I'm living my best and richest life. <laughs> you know, with this podcast booming the way it is and taking off, I'm sure we'll be touring, doing live shows before you know where we are. So we'll definitely have to get you to come on oh, and do so it in God, front yeah. of a live audience. The, the last time I did it in front of a live audience was in Faraday's Lecture Theatre at the Royal Institution. <laughs> Like, other people were there. I didn't just break in in the night to, to play Sonic. Right. Um, but that felt particularly sacrilegious, and so a high point of my career. So was it just the foot thing that brought you to Sonic then, or...? Uh, no, no, it was Sonic the Hedgehog uh, came into my life way back in the 90s, when it came into, I think, most people's lives when it first came out. I uh, got a Mega Drive for Christmas one year with the first Sonic the Hedgehog on it, and was absolutely captivated. Bright colours and loud noises were very much my cup of tea and have been, well, well, I say ever since. I stopped playing it after Sonic 3 and Knuckles came out, then was just really depressed for about 25, 25 years. years, and then Sonic yeah. Mania came out. Yeah, yeah. That's the universal experience, I think, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> what about the comic? Did you read it at the time? I really did. Um, I read Sonic yeah. the Comic and Mean Machine Sega. Ah, well, there's that, I believe, was started by Tony Takushi, our reviewer from the Review Zone. My goodness me. Did you start with issue number one, or do you remember your first issue? I think it was issue number one. Um, mm. Certainly listening to your guys' first episode where you deal with that, it brought back a lot of memories. The, the most abiding memory I have of Sonic the Comic was the, was it Mega Mac? Mighty Mac? That's the last yeah, one yeah. we did. Is that the last one? Oh, Mega Mac. Lovely. Yeah. Issue number 10, yeah. Uh, we should have had you on last week. <laughs> that put the willies right up me as a kid. The idea of a sort of sentient ooze. Oh, I didn't like it. Well, uh, this issue we've got a, it's a special Basha Badnik issue. It's a very special, yeah. According to the top of the cover, <laughs> which uh, is, um, spoilers boomers. No, it's not. <laughs> No, there's, there's they, nothing they, different about it at all to warrant I that. I think they, they just didn't have a relevant uh, cover image, so they just yeah. used like a maybe a pre-existing piece of, of stock art that they'd had created. Oh, yes, that's right. The cover that we've got here is a, is a quite um, sort of spray can-looking image mm. of Sonic. This will be the um, the artist from the Death Egg one, will it? Yes, uh, Farron Rodriguez, probably. Right, yeah. They don't have cover artist credits on the inside cover. No, you're just left on your own to try and recognise it. But it very much looks like the, the same work. And it's just Sonic... Oh, gracious, what's the name of that bad, Nick? I will say that Sonic... He, I, I guess they were trying to give the idea that he's jumping, but he's not, because he's he's got little... The, the sort of motion blur from his feet, mm. but remaining perfectly vertical. And as we all know, mm. Sonic jumps in a, a big spinny ball. In a big spinny ball. Like all hedgehogs. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks like he's just 
hovering. Yeah. In front of the like menacingly hovering in front of this badnik. He's not even moving towards it. One of the... (laughs) He's not even looking at it. Behold my disregard for gravity, Patnik. (laughs) He's not even looking at it. He's looking off camera at some other thing that might be going on. But one of the the calling cards of that artist, who's only done one issue so far, is that... And whose calling cards will change drastically next time we see him. Yeah. Is that he always gives him the little sort of detached smirk. And uh, here's another one, I guess. So is Bash a Badnik the sort of Mobius version of like Bash the Fash, that sort of thing? <laughs> or Splat the Rat. They just play it at Summer Fates. <laughs> the vicar brings it round. Actually, that would be really sinister in the world of, of Mobius, given that it is full of animals that seem to be moderately sentient. So would there be like one sacrificial rat dropped down a tube as their family weeps in the background? There'd be no such thing. That's the thing. You have to get a robot for it. The question is, what did they used to do before Dr. Robotnik? And the answer is, they did used to splat a rat. And so Robotnik <laughs> came along with his humanitarian idea of, of putting all the rats in robots, and they just got carried away. <laughs> Taylor's oldest time. <laughs> Just looked it up. No wonder I couldn't remember. This badnik is called a crawl. Oh God! Oh, yeah. of course, because that has nothing to do with its character design or movement. Yeah, a claw and a and a bouncer. Are yeah. you sure? I feel as if I've never heard that before. Right? I just no. I googled it, but that um, mu- no. That's got to be like a Japanese name or something. You would think. No! Krull's moustache and sort of angry red face, he looks like the sort of sommelier that would really, really judge you no matter what wine you'd get. He'd have an immaculate pressed white sort of (laughs) towel thing over his arm and would just scowl at you. (laughs) Over his claw. Just to confirm for Dave, his Japanese name is in fact Gardon. So... Better! By the way, I was always... In Sonic 3, you know those ones that are like a computer mouse that scurry about on the walls in the flying battery zone? Well... They, I think they're called techno squeaks, I believe. And uh, the if you looked in the manual, uh, a different language called them techno pips, and I always thought that was lovely. So I've always called them techno pips. So now you well, know. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've managed to bash enough badnik etymology, um... <laughs> Sonic goes ballistic. It says. Around the world in five seconds flat. Yeah. I mean, spoiler warning, guys. Yeah. The, mm. and yeah, and that's, that is more or less all that happens in the story. That is a spoiler warning. <laughs> it's also all that happens on the cover, because then the only other line is the only video gamers comic you can buy. No reminding us of the contents of the it comic. It doesn't need Otherwise, to. Otherwise, no, no talk about the other names of the strips. Well, it normally does anyway. Yeah, but Beggars Can't Be Choosers It's the only video games comic you can flip in by. So you're just <laughs> going to have to have it. You'll have what you're given, boys. I suppose, yeah. What else was I going to do? Yeah. I didn't have any other options. Issue 11, October the 16th, 1993. Let's dive in. Megadroid reminds us of the time in issue 6 when on the letters page he asked readers if they thought Tails should have his own series and apparently everybody thought that he should. Yeah. Because uh, lots of letters have come in and as we all know, he eventually would. Not so very long from now. No, and I just really love the little note here. Now I've got to persuade those humes who think they're in charge that it's a fab idea. Those are the people who can't even spell Miles Prower correctly. Wish me luck. And yeah, we picked up on that, didn't we? We poked at them for that. Where was it? It was in a... I can't remember what issue it was now. Oh, I remember. It was when they were doing the big competition where you had to match the names of characters to the names of games. Anyway. Uh, Not much else from Megadroid. He just tells us what the other strips in the comic are. But he does (laughs) say that the Sonic strip is going to be called Faster Than a Speeding Bullet. bullet. Which we can see without even turning a page that that's wrong. Because it's right (laughs) opposite. On the facing page, he's got the name of the strip wrong. (laughs) 
It's called a uh, time racer. We'll get there in a second, but yeah, I wonder which I wonder is why. I don't know which is is that a better title? Well, I don't. This is the thing. It raises the question, doesn't it? Somewhere in the office, they went, "Hmm, we won't call it faster than a speeding bullet because X Y Z. Instead, we'll come up with this other name." So, what's wrong with faster than a speeding bullet? Two Superman or it's not derivative. It's not copyright, is it? Well, no, I don't think so. But mm. I don't think there's an interesting line of conversation. There. <laughs> <laughs> Let them eat cake. We've got a separate section here just dedicated to people who've made cakes with Sonic on them. I love this stuff. They're really charming. Like, two of them are really charming and wobbly, and then one, it's not only really nicely executed, but it looks smug. Like, yeah. it looks like it knows it's the least wobbly cake on the page, and it's just like, yeah, deal with it. I've got a better birthday. I know. And kind of sorry about this, Vittoria, who's, uh, or Vittorio, whose cake it is. It's my least favourite of the cakes <laughs> because it's drawn on, and then it's it looks like I mean, is that an absolutely gigantic cake? Because look at what his face is coloured in with. It's like individual, you know, sort of ice gems squirts of of icing. And if that's the scale we're looking at, then that cake's gigantic. I have just noticed that his second pupil, I was going to say like secondary pupil, yeah. like you've got a primary one, and then, a, yeah. um, but it seems to be like hiding under his brow nubbin. Yes. And I'm quite unsettled by that. Well done, Mrs. Travitt. Yeah. Guy really takes issue with your artistic style <laughs> of this cake. <laughs> uh, well, it's exactly on model to, like, I don't know, what, is it the Sonic 2 cover, Sonic? But, yes, there's something about the way the, the particular curve of the brow nubble that, it, I mean, it's a little bit anatomical at the best of times, and you, ha- you do have to be careful when drawing it with that cleft which they very quickly stopped using in Sonic merchandise. Lads, it's a cake. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, you say that. I've just clocked the 10 Sonic 1. Guest of honour at STC reader Mark Prothero's birthday party. And then it gets really dark because it then says, <laughs> yeah. bet he wasn't around for long, though. Oh, my God. Does that mean Mark? Oh, Jesus. Like, I assume <laughs> it means Sonic, but that's... Oh, I see. Megadroid. Oh, phew. Yes. Oh. It means they ate the cake, but <laughs> it's just yeah. full of knives. <laughs> knives and a gun. When you read that just then, I had no... I couldn't pass that as that they were talking about Sonic rather than Mark. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, the other two are like, you know, made out of, I don't know, marzipan or icing or something. And I particularly like the happy seventh birthday Paul one from... Does it say Paul who? Uh, no, it doesn't. Paul Webb's mam. Paul Webb. Paul Webb's mam made this yep. one. And... She's giving him a lovely little smile. It's great. This, has got, this one's got Sonic and Tails in it. Well done, mums, all round. And especially Vittorio's, but yeah. that's a bit too on model. It looks pre-bought. That's the thing. It's so good. It looks like you could have got it made. That's Yeah. I was going to say, it looks made. Yeah. If, if it hadn't said that the mum had baked it, I would have assumed oh, wait, maybe they've that got, one was pre-bought. Wait a minute. Maybe they've got a cake shop, and this was meant to be an oh. advert. And then... And now we're giving them free publicity all these years later. (laughs) Hey, if they're still out there, I will commission a Sonic cake off them, for sure, when we reach issue 100. Some advert (laughs) when they don't name the location. Well, this is my thing. I suspect that they probably did name the location in the cover letter, and the editors here decided (laughs) not to include it. Well, possibly. Vittorio Trevitt, if you're out there, get in touch. Let us know, was your seventh? Right. Wait, Hang on a minute. I'm, yes, I'm googling mm-hmm. Trevit cakes. <laughs> Trevit. Dave, are you aware of the time that I was a cake? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not in a sort of 
strippogram way or anything like that. Oh, um, God, I, so I thought I, that was what it would be. Go on. No, no. Um, I was where my mind went first. I so I used to be in a sketch group, and when we did our last ever show, a couple of people who'd been sort of long-term fans of us commissioned a cake made, uh, <laughs> and all around the sides of the cake were references to different uh, sketches and shows that we performed, and there were icing models of all of us in our Aww. costumes. And yeah, I, I brought a little icing me home, forgot to eat it, and then it just sort of rotted in my house, which is <laughs> as far away as to describe my comedy career goes. That's pretty much it. A nice thing for a while that just gradually decays. <laughs> I have been unable to find either Trevit Cakes or Trevit Bakery, so I think uh, now we've just got someone who's just weirdly good at making cakes. Well, uh, Paul Webb, Vittorio Trevit, and Mark Prothero, if you're out there, hope your cakes were nice. Drop us a line. <laughs> and I hope your cakes are nice too, listeners. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, Time Racer, written by Mark Miller, with art by Ed Hillier and letters by Tom Frame. Sonic is lured to the other side of Mobius to rescue a captured Tails, leaving the Emerald Hill Zone seemingly helpless before a death ray fired from Dr. Robotnik's orbiting satellite. But they don't call him Sonic for nothing. Running faster than ever before, Sonic races back home in five seconds flat, beating the death ray there, and then uses his super speed to turn a beach into a giant mirror that reflects the ray back to its source, destroying the satellite. It opens with ruled by Robotnik. Yes, of course. Which is clearly added in post. That's got nothing to do with what happens in this strip. I mean, we genuinely don't know with 100% certainty whether Mark Miller wrote all his stories up front and then they just rolled them out as necessary, or if he genuinely was being uh, assigned things alongside Kitching or in between Kitching's hirings. But certainly this whole strip is not written with any regard to the new world setup that Kitching got through introducing in the previous issue. So the RR ruled by Robotnik footnote is is absolutely tacked on at the start of this. And similarly, if you look whenever Sonic's running around the world, they describe his path and they say, well, first of all, they call the Spring Yard Zone the Spring Hill Zone, incorrectly. Oh, I missed that. But they say Spring Hill Zone, Marble Zone, half a second to go. And if you know your Sonic 1, that means Miller's written the script as Sonic running back through the worlds of Sonic 1 to the Green Hill Zone, mm. which is where all the previous Mark Miller scripts were set as the the home base of Sonic and his friends but the rest of the script refers to it aiming the Emerald Hill Zone Zone. which is what Nigel always wrote as being the home base of Sonic so you think that that feels like another editorial editorial tweak to to bring things in line Oh, you super sleuth, you! <laughs> Guy, what was your overall impression of this? I think the thing that, that genuinely struck me, because I've, I've not laid eyes on Sonic the Comic since 1993, it's like, this isn't a story beat, it's just I'm astonished at how clear the marks from the pen is. Like, it, yeah. it looks like something mm. that you'd, you'd draw with a felt tip, which I presume it was. Like, on page three or so, where Sonic's sort of heading towards the, the, the camera, yeah, you can see yeah. every individual line. It, it just brought me right back to having, like, a big pile of garish felt-tip pens and doing really bad wobbly drawings of Sonic the Hedgehog. And because it's such a close-up, you can see that the artist here has had to... 
you know, do multiple rows of scribbles yeah. to, to colour it all in yeah. blue and you can see them all. Isn't that great? It's really charming. <laughs> uh, so this is Ed Hillier on the art yeah. who we saw before on issue number four, Nigel Kitching's first story. Oh, the one with the robots on it. Yeah, yeah. And it's rough. The line work is quite loose. Yeah. Um, but it is full of flourishes and he really sells the running halfway around the world in five seconds. Well, bit. this is the thing, yeah. So, like, the main thing that happens in this story is page one, two, three, page four in which Sonic does have to do this run around the world. And everything on either side of it is just sort of set up and come down from that. And and it's just a page of, like, there's almost no story here. Sonic just needs to run really fast, so he does. But <laughs> the way it's illustrated, like, yeah. it's like the actual format of the artwork warps and changes around him. Mm. Yes, it's gorgeous. You've got a close-up of his face with his eyes sort of closed in concentration, and presumably because insects are hitting his face with the force of actual bullets if you're <laughs> yeah. running that quick. And it looks like a pencil sketch. I mean, it probably is. I think it is. It's mm. it's lovely the way the two, as you say, it changes and warps with the speed. You've got this wonderfully colourful, like a really good ice lolly at the top of the screen. Oh, yes. Running and it's boom, boom, boom. And this great mix of colour. And then Sonic, but the Shinkansen as the next panel of him just long. Like, what would happen <laughs> if you got a long headshot? <laughs> And then this this gorgeous little sketch of his face. Um, he does look a trifle constipated, but it's so cool because yeah, because normally you know Ed Hillier's normal style is your you, your ordinary sort of inks and colouring pens, but then it goes into this strange pencil-y pastel effect for this one page to, and it's to illustrate that he's pushing himself beyond any limit he's ever attempted before, but almost beyond the limits of reality itself, and that's what yeah. changes around him. He could almost burst out of that panel, the one where he is all sort of long and heading towards the right. Yeah. You you could sense that there's just the tiniest thing that's stopping him from like bursting off the page. This page really influenced my own uh, childhood fanfic. Yeah. By the way, I can't I can't remember if it was a story I wrote or a comic I drew, but I I think it was a comic. But I just remember I remember what room in my school I was in when I was illicitly doing it. I did some story where you know Sonic runs so fast that he breaks the speed of sound and then he keeps running so he breaks the speed of light and then he breaks the speed of time and then he breaks the speed of reality and now he's a weird squiggly thing <laughs> very abstractive very high it concept was, and it was it, clearly it came from this page a, a fun thing to do with this if you flick between this page and the previous page is watching i don't know if it's the death egg or just a generic laser that robotnik's just happened to have launched It's a better space. design than the Death Egg they did give us back in issue 6. Watching the two of them, so you see it sort of charging up with this little hint of purple in the middle and the stars in the background of space. Yeah. And then on the next page, the laser's firing, the entire thing is enveloped in this energy and it's so bright it sort of outshone all of the stars. And it's a lovely little oh, change yes. between the two. Mm. It looks like the Earth is being... Sort of, I know it's because the, the perspective has shifted slightly, but it looks like the Earth is almost being squashed by this sort of this nascent force that's moving towards it. Yeah. The Ed Hillier here is drawing in a way that, like, if I was looking at Sonic, just Sonic himself, I'd be like, eh, this is okay. But it's everything else, isn't it? Yeah. I really like his rendition of Tails, actually. Actually, yeah. I love this this one panel on the first page where Tails is trapped in... Um, it's, like, it's like it's on the other side of the planet, just somewhere, a castle amid... <laughs> yeah, he's trapped somewhere. ...it's a fire where Robotnik is just holding Tails in a tank of green fizzy water it's a, it's with a, chains a, on I think him. it's a glass of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all just to lure Sonic there so that Robotnik can fire this gun. But... Um, 
you know, it's funny because we've talked in the last couple of episodes, um, or I have anyway, I don't know much you've agreed with me, Dave, but, but about <laughs> how Nigel Kitching would have this tendency early on um, to have a seven page story that would be, you know, the, the, the title of the story would be the antagonist or the, the main beat or point of the story. But then the way he paced his stories, he wouldn't manage to bring that in until page five. So he only had a page to play with it before he then had to dispatch it on page seven. Compare that then to the way Mark Miller comes in on this strip where he literally has the premise in place by the end of the second page. Yeah, that's true. And then he is able to take two nice big pages to show Sonic pushing himself faster than he's ever gone before. Though I I did always think, even back in the day, it's a great idea, and I do enjoy it, and I I love the way it's presented, as we've talked about already, but the actual act of running around the world in five seconds doesn't accomplish anything (laughs) in terms of the story, if you know what I mean. All that it means is he gets there a foot ahead of the laser and says, run for it. Oh, yeah. Then he runs off to the beach or skids to a halt on the beach and takes time to run around on the beach to turn the sand into a mirror while the beam continues to tear up the forest and the animals all run and flee in terror. So it's like, you could have taken six or seven seconds to run around the world. (laughs) Actually getting there ahead of the laser narratively didn't accomplish anything. And presumably, as we can see that he's broken the sound barrier, he's running past these guys and saying, run for it. It's only a few seconds later that they actually hear him. Like, no, what was that? Yeah. A, a tiny fun detail. Sorry to, I know we're trying to sort of power through this, but no, I just no, spotted no, don't on, worry. on the first this page. This is us powering through. Yeah. <laughs> oh, splendid. Um, on the first page, you can see these little sort of beads of saliva and spittle yeah. on Robotnik's yes. lower lip. And on the second page as well, as he's just gnashing his teeth at how much he hates this prickly oh, little yeah. menace. And he's just frothing at the mouth. It's gloriously horrid. He does draw a genuinely disgusting Robotnik. I can't remember if yeah. there were any other artists who would do this, but the idea of Robotnik being physically unpleasant like that, like... Um, drooling and things mm. that that's that you know that's an image in my memory so i'm not sure where that comes from if it, if it purely comes from this or not i would always imagine in my head that it was whatever he drooled or spat or something it would be like green and it would be like rotten eggs <laughs> that, that's <laughs> how my kid brain interpreted it one of the prevailing gross out jokes that i had encountered at around this time when i was a kid was from an episode of maid marion where prince john hangs the sheriff and his men upside down and forces them to eat a, a giant tub of um, scrambled egg that he's got, and he's spooning it into their mouths. And the the last shot in the episode is Tony Robinson upside down, saying something with a mouth full of scrambled egg that's all tumbling out. And I think that was in there was a comic. It was one of the ones that had a comic adaptation as well. And I I feel as if they missed a trick by not having Robotnik be constantly chomping on an egg, like <laughs> just have an egg, be eating it, have egg falling out of his mouth all the time. I don't know. I genuinely don't know why they didn't do that. I I see. That's cannibalism, isn't it? <laughs> Robotnik, Robotnik doesn't like it. I suppose he is Robotnik half egg. Is an egg. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, is he an egg? Well, he's he's an egg man. It was an egg that turned him round, wasn't it? He was, yeah, fused with the energy of the Chaos Emeralds and a rotten egg. Ah, oh. come on, guy, you, don't tell me you've never read the origin of I, Sonic. Oh, I know uh, Kinto, but yeah. I'm, I'm well aware of when Sonic was brown and had special shoes and then did a run. <laughs> uh, I just, I, for some reason, I don't remember Robotnik being bitten by a radioactive egg. Well, he was. He was. That's basically. 
don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was <laughs> all the he was of an egg. He was holding a rotten egg when he was bitten by a radioactive Chaos Emeralds what? machine. Put it down. <laughs> he well. needs to hold a rotten egg. Indeed. Well, he was actively distracted by it, which is what <laughs> caused the accident in the first place, yeah. guy. By how smelly it was. He was in the middle of lunch. <laughs> Um, this is kind of a flash story, isn't it, really? Mm. Ah, well, now then. So when he makes the big mirror, first off, this is definitely the first time I ever heard that sand can be made into glass, and it's a little factoid that's stuck with me ever since. It keeps coming up, and this is where I learned it. Pretty sure it wouldn't work as a mirror, because you'd need a reflective coating. You'd just Mm. be looking through some glass at some more sand. And I'm pretty sure hedgehogs can't break the sand barrier. Shut up. (laughs) It depends on how hard you throw them. (laughs) <laughs> but we have previously said that we prefer it when sonic speed is actually like used mm, yes and there's two different examples of this once to get somewhere in time and once as a creative solution to a problem so mark's firing on all cylinders yeah. with the this, sonic this stuff is in. easily the best mark miller strip the comics had so far i will say just outside of sonic's speed i know i'm sort of crashing in and, and ruining yeah, the flow I love how much the little badger dude looks like a moomin it's <laughs> a really charming little badger oh yeah he's, he's really adorable does. I completely didn't notice the, the pig behind him possibly because of the purple of the death ray yes. and the sort of the background the pig just sort of blends in but it's a really good little badger it's really charming Actually, I wonder if that's stripes. Stripes. Oh, yes. Yes. There was there was a like there wasn't a badger in the games, but a little badger did feature in. Oh, in, in fact, first... it was in Ed Hillier's. In Ed Hillier's issue. It... So he's that's at least stripes. recycled the design, even if it's not. Yeah. Even if it's not uh, stripes the character, because it's like I see I I'm at a point with the comic where I see a pig and I see a rabbit and I don't immediately assume it's Porker Lewis and Johnny Lightfoot anymore. Yeah. Whereas I do, I go, that is Johnny, and that is Porker, and that's Flicky there, there's Porker Lewis, and I've no basis for this at all. Other it's than just, that, uh... I, I sort of feel like if you were in charge of a cartoon or anything where there's a load of characters who all look the same, but one has a name, I feel like you would favour the one with the name and <laughs> make them be the, the first one to ever appear in, in anything. I but mean, I, I suppose that is definitely Sally Acorn on page oh. six because she's got the bow. Oh, yes! Unless they all just have the bow. Yeah, well, they're, and this is the conundrum we face. <laughs> Fortunately, Porker and Johnny would get clothes later on, so we would be able <laughs> exactly. to identify them. <laughs> yeah, and people would give them the time of day. Ed Hillier, I think, is doing such a good job all the way through of communicating big cosmic events. You've got the rolling black clouds that the laser's coming through... You've got the explosion in space at the end. I adore the, the reflection of the laser in the mirror as it zooms yes. down towards itself. Lovely, yeah, the yeah. silhouettes of the animals. And the, mm. the, the hole in the clouds that it's coming through. And then, yeah, as it hits the mirror, it's this giant, like, fat-feeling laser boinging yeah. off the thing while everyone else is silhouette because the whole world is ablaze with purple light. It's real cool. Yeah, if you're looking for good drawings of Sonic, you probably want to go somewhere else. But mm. if you want to see some like genuinely good art craft otherwise, he does a really nice job on this one. It's, it's really dynamic. Case in point, look at the way he colours in the laser. You've got like a sort of watercolour splotch fade from purple to white down its core. Really, really, really good. Yeah, I guess this must have been done with kind of a mixed media, mustn't it? Because there's no way those clouds and things are felt tip pen. That's got to be watercolour paints. But Sonic does genuinely yeah. seem to have been done with pen. Yeah, I think when you're colouring with physical media, you just 
throw in whatever you own. <laughs> There's two things that really strike me about this page. One is the flicky at the top of the page saying, about time. Like, come on, Bert, he's just run around the globe. That's a Mark Miller script so what, and a half. What are you doing? And secondly, the really pleasing way the laser lines up between panels two and three. Mm. And so it gives it much more sort of dynamism. It's almost as if it's going through the page break or through the... the yeah. gutter or whatever the comic term is, I don't know. For listeners, in panel two, it's approaching the mirror, dragging a trench through the ground. And then in page three, it's we've zoomed out and it's hitting the mirror. But yeah, despite the change in camera angle, it, it lines up quite nicely. I, I feel as if you would try and avoid doing that if you were doing it deliberately, but it, it does work nicely here yeah. because what it means is that when you're reading panel two, you're just reading panel two. But when you read panel three, there's almost that, like uh, when IMAX films open up the top and bottom yeah. of the screen, you can see it going further than you expect out but it's also really complemented by the idea of having sonic also be in this sort of i don't know it's like it's like an inset panel but it's yes. not it's like it's a drawing of sonic and then there's a panel border all the it's way around, around. Pre- precisely around the figure of sonic as he speaks on his own uh, it's yeah it's an innovative bit of layout work it comes together very nicely well that's right and ed's doing that all the way through like even though you've got what i refer to as cosmic events he does keep stopping to wink at the camera and point his little finger and say a little catchphrase, and it it doesn't it not in a way that's crap. Speaking of winking, <laughs> pink eyelids. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The halfway down. <laughs> yeah. Is really unsettling. That was always difficult. Yeah. What what you've got here is the brow ridge doesn't meet the nose, so when he's colouring in, he has to decide. Well, how do I end the pink? Where does the eyelids stop? Yeah. <laughs> it's the sort of image where the longer you look at it, the worse your life becomes. <laughs> the, the horrid pinkness of it. And the final panels of the story, you find these are the sort of things that people, people. Americans share around as evidence of how much of an arsehole STC Sonic is. <laughs> Tails is being like, oh, how come I always miss out on the action? And Sonic's admiring his reflection in the giant mirror that he's made, and he says, well, maybe it's because you aren't half as cool, brave, or handsome as I am, Tails. And Tails gets the huff and says, at least I'm modest. And then, you know, Sonic, like, gives him an elbow and winks in, and is like, that's because you got so much to be modest about, Pixel Brain. And it's like, that's, that's, yeah. And Americans are like, oh, what a d- I can't believe that's how they wrote Sonic. And to me, I'm like, hey, there's, there's Sonic. Yeah. That's quintessentially Sonic to me. I do see, to be sincere for a moment, I do see friendship there, you know? It's- yes, I do. That's the thing. That's how Sonic expresses friendship. <laughs> Just as an aside, Chris, I really enjoyed that your Tails voice sounds like a sort of Dickensian urchin. Oh yeah, that's always what my Tails sounded like, sir. Like the kid from Bedknobs and Broomsticks who says, um, Oh, lovely piece of string. I was expecting a very important spell in the mail from my teacher, Professor Emilius Brown. And it hasn't come. What's that got to do with my knob? <laughs> That's the best line in Ben Knobs and Broomsticks. <laughs> Guy, anything else to say about Sonic before we move blusteringly on? Um, just basically my surprise on rereading this that it was written by Mark Miller. Ah, um, <laughs> had you forgotten that? Well, as a kid, I guess I just thought that comics appeared in the world. I didn't... Mm sort of think that they had writers. I know that sounds really weird, but when you're a kid, you just take literally everything for granted. And that just got me thinking of what a Grant Morrison Sonic the comic would have been like. (laughs) Just some terrifying, fourth-wall-breaking Sonic playing his own game to control himself. Like, just, just what that would be. And yeah, that unsettled me. I think the closest thing we ever got to something Grant Morrison would have done on Sonic was probably that Sonic the Human issue. Remember that one? (laughs) 
Mm. Oh, gosh, that does ring a bell. Yeah. And actually, that's drawn by Ed Hillier, too. In fact, I think Ed Hillier wrote that one. Oh. Before we dive on to the next thing, I I will just say that um, Mark Miller is largely responsible for me becoming a comedian and ending up on this podcast. Really? Yeah, when I first moved to London... um, I worked at Forbidden Planet for a bit, and then when I came back after I'd left to drop off my t-shirt, I saw there were flyers looking for extras for the upcoming Mark Miller movie, Kick-Ass. <laughs> Applied for that, got on it, met a guy there, and he was of the sketch group. That's what, how I accidentally became a comedian. Uh, and so, yeah, I blame Mark Miller. <laughs> now, to me, Mark Miller, you know, people always go like, whoa, Mark Miller wrote Sonic. And... Honestly, genuinely, this isn't me trying to be all hipster about it, but like, to me, Mark Miller is one of the writers of Sonic the Hedgehog. And so I'm like, oh, that Sonic writer's got another comic out. No, I, uh, much as I remembered many of the names of the writers and artists from Sonic the Comic over the years, Mark Miller was not one I ever remembered as a name. Because obviously, I mean, half of his stories were before I started reading the comic. So Mm. I guess in the span of time I read it, he would have only had gosh three or four stories maybe so whenever yeah then i discovered the guy who did the authority and the ultimates (laughs) had written sonic in his younger years that was a shock but it's it is truly fascinating to go back and read it now and streets of rage more more importantly and um track the path of his career and see the edge that would slowly overtake it it's a new zone special this time david gibbon has gone off to the european computer trade show which i think we heard about an issue or two ago. Yes, I think told we did. Us was coming up. And he's seen a load of games and he's going to tell us about the load of games. Yeah, if they feel it was so important that they again expanded the news zone to three pages this issue and put it up where the review zone normally goes. Oh, is there no review zone at all? No, it's later in the issue. Oh, it's okay. just been moved. Oh, well, maybe someone wrote in and suggested where they should change everything around to. Oh, yeah, didn't that fella do exactly that last issue? That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they were experimenting. <laughs> maybe he was the boss's son. <laughs> So, what have they got? A lot of these we've heard about before. Well, there's this game Haunting, right? Yeah, now, we've heard about this before, and I had to go and look this up because I was confused. They announced this a couple of issues ago under the name Poltergeist. Well, it's Haunting yes. starring Poltergeist, yeah. Became the finalised name of the thing. Wow, Poltergeist is such a better title. If that's the screenshot from it, I like that there's a shark leaping out of a fish tank. Yeah, the way it works, and it's made by the guys who made Paperboy, according to this... You're this sort of green zombie chap in a big house, which is owned by, I don't know, some in some way an unpleasant fact. It's Beetlejuice, the game. <laughs> You've been killed by them, so you're trying to get your revenge. And so what you're doing is, they can't see you, and you just go around the house, and you jump into and out of as many things around the room as you can. And then when the people who live there go up to that thing, it does a haunt at them. I haven't been able to ascertain exactly what, even though Abby has this one, so I could just play it, but um, I haven't done and i haven't been able to ascertain if there's anything at stake like if you have a certain amount of time that you have to because if it was me you would just go well i'll click everything in the room and then they'll walk around and be haunted by everything and then that's it so presumably it's not as simple as that that type of gameplay uh, makes me think i don't know if either of you ever played spy versus spy on the master system came on one of the little cards rather than a cartridge Uh, basically going to places setting traps and then buggering off again it was completely inscrutable the entire game until I worked out that you could put a bucket of something on top of a door. They would knock it off. It wasn't water. It was acid. Melted a bloke. Oh. Uh, got dark. 
So I looked up this game just on YouTube. I haven't played it. Haunting. Mm. And there's all sorts of interesting things about it. Like, um, when you get to the end, you suddenly descend into hell and you have to fight a big sludgy monster that comes out of a dog. That's weird. Video games! But the best bit is that when you scare the family, they leave behind puddles of sludge, which oh, no. in the final build are coloured green. I don't think they would have been during the during the development process. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and you collect them and that fills your meter. It's one of those games where there's so many little animations for everything that you just mm. want to tinker with them as you go along. Like... Um, there was one, I saw one, uh, particularly racy one, in which the mum's skirt falls off. Ooh. <gasps> Only saw that once. Not allowed in the house. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? I've talked about one game. Virtual pinball from EA. Yes, which doesn't he say something like, I know that sounds boring, a pinball game. <laughs> <laughs> a weird thing to say, you know, especially when there's no complaints about all these sports games. I mean, he's completely right. No. Pinball fantasies on Amiga <laughs> I- was well good, but not because of the pinball. <laughs> what was it because of? Just the presentation and music and stuff. It was did with just very good at making games. And I, I did look this one up. It's a pinball game where what's it called? What's it called? Virtual pinball. Yeah. It's one of these ones where rather than just, oh, you can play a pinball table or a pinball table, it's like you can play a spooky pinball table where the flippers are made of bones and there's all screams <laughs> and blood coming off things. Genuinely <laughs> thought you were about to say that the flippers were made of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, not not as good as the Haunted House level on Pinball Fantasies on Amiga. I'd accuse you of being slightly blinded by nostalgia, but we're doing a Sonic the Comic podcast, so I really don't <laughs> think we have room to make such comments. Also, I completely upfront, like my entire brand is being blinded by nostalgia, so I accept it. <laughs> Mutant League Hockey, that was Blood Bowl. Okay, next. Yeah, that now, now Mutant League Hockey was actually the sequel Mutant League Football was the and first one, so that it's was surprising to me that yeah. we haven't heard it mentioned anywhere. No. Jumped over James Pond 3 there as well. Yes, well we... Operation Starfish, which is only referred to as James Pond 3 here. That's right, although they do mention Starfish somewhere, don't they? <laughs> Where does it say it? Somewhere. I don't know if it's James Pond 2 or James Pond 3, but my wife's uncle worked on one of them. What? Yes. Why don't you um, know? It'd be one of the main facts I knew. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a genuine sort of tangential my uncle works at Nintendo yeah. thing. So yeah, it was either James Pond 2 or James Pond 3. I remember I had a James Pond 2 poster. That was Robocod, wasn't that it? That was Robocod. Yeah. That was the best one. I suspect it was that one. If it was that one, that is a massive claim to fame. If it was 3, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Immediate grounds for divorce. I'll have to double check. It did give me the idea of starting a podcast that was basically my uncle works at and just talk to people whose, whose uncles uncle? worked on oh, video games. That's Worked a great places. idea! <laughs> I've got another friend whose uncle worked on cannon fodder. Oh! I mean, you'd run out of uncles sooner yeah, or later. Yeah, but if I was going to say, yeah. If you could get the uncle also to be on mic, though, if you have the friend yes. and their uncle, I feel like a lot of people would want to bring their uncle on stuff. <laughs> yeah, you could expand it beyond. Beyond video games. You know, just like my uncle works on... Yeah, and beyond uncles. Like, you'd want an aunt in there. Because I have... Let's see, what relation is he to me? He's my aunt's dad. Right. But she's not related by blood. But he wrote The Twin Dilemma, the worst Doctor (laughs) Who story ever. (laughs) Oh, wow! That... Gotta get him on! (laughs) This podcast's going places. Unfortunately, he's dead, but my dad's uncle wrote primary school Christmas classic Little Donkey. What? Really? Yeah. What? Are you kidding me? No, really, that is my Christmas connection. I That's a claim to fame. Yeah. Little Donkey. Yeah. yeah. Little Donkey on the door. That, that little donkey. Yeah. Little donkey.
I just assume that like burst whole into the world? People don't write those. Those aren't written by people. Those are handed down orally yeah. over centuries. They exist. Like you turn over a stone and you've got once in Royal David City. I know. Yeah, it turns out it's not an old song. What? I don't think I can carry on with this podcast. <laughs> You've completely ruined the foundations of my entire life. Nelly the Elephant came out in the 50s. Yeah, but that was before I was born, so it's all right. Yeah, that's the past. Well, this was before you were born. Uh, but, uh... This is like finding out that chips were invented in, like, 1992. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Holy God, I'm completely not for a loop now. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a similar uh, incredulous response from my first primary school teacher when I claimed this during a during an infant's assembly when we were singing it. And uh, she demanded I quote his name so that she could look it up on the sheet music. And, and, and she, Eric Boswell. All oh, right, yeah, Eric Boswell. <laughs> what does that make him to you then if he's your dad's uncle? Your, I don't know. I don't know. We called him Uncle Eric, but I don't know. Oh, okay, your great uncle, maybe. Dunkle. Grunkle. This is beautiful. <laughs> right, <laughs> moving on to the next right, thing. Sorry there. about that. Yeah, I've, I've thrown everybody for a loop. Yeah, now. let's knock the podcast off its axis. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not like we got anything interesting to lead into next to with FIFA International Skiing, shot. helicopters. Kicking bikes and helicopters. There's a bit of tennis. There's a picture of Zool. There's yeah. a big picture of Zool. Then What's you that immediately get interested in again. Gremlin will be releasing one of the most successful games of all time onto Sega formats this December. Zool. Citation Ninja of the needed. Dimension. Yeah, well, I mean, here's a citation. It says sold over 180,000 copies on the Amiga and maybe in those days that made you one of the best-selling games of all time mm. and is set to top the charts this christmas it's a platform game and the idea is to guide zool through seven different worlds each world contains four levels zool now appears on everything from greetings cards to watches this is one game to watch out for well as an active zool fan at specifically this time i can tell you i've never seen such a thing as a greeting card or a watch yeah i feel like this copy was written during the one month that that was true yeah like- I think so. A couple of years ago, I had a sort of clear out, and I found a big box version of Zool that still sort of floppy disks and all that with a big fold-out poster. Uh, sadly, the free Chopper Chops lolly that came with it wasn't included. <laughs> oh. uh, but that would have been foul, I guess. How unthinking of you to have eaten that at the time. Get that on eBay. <laughs> and I will say, just from having a peek at the other game titles, uh, I did have Thunderhawk for the Mega CD. Ooh, what mm. can you tell us tell about us it? Because I'm a fancy Dan. Um, that's about it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was first-person helicopter thing, uh, sort of bumbling around. It's a bit like Soul Star for the Mega CD, if you've ever played that. No, it's on the Mega CD. Of course I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I've clocked that uh, coming to the Mega Drive Master System and Game Gear in December is Robocop vs. Terminator. Oh. I blinking loved that game. It was <laughs> tremendous. Is that something that you guys have played? I never no. played it, but I always felt like I should have, and I had just been denied the opportunity somehow. <laughs> it's really good. It's grim as all hell. If you shoot somebody, they burst with a really satisfying... Yes! Oh, that sounds great! Sound. That sounds like uh, authentic to the source material. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like you go through the OCP offices. There are hidden secrets where you get transported to the future war. Ooh. It's really, really neat. You could you fight Ed 209, his, one of his guns drops off, and you can use that. <laughs> it's absolutely top. I've always heard it spoken of very well. I'll play it now. Mm, it's one of my favourite games on the Mega Drive. Maybe they'll get that on that new Mega Drive Mini. Yes. Ooh, that'd be nice. Which, what was it you saw, Chris, was on that? 
uh, uh, Land Stalker, which was just reviewed, we it reviewed in the previous issue. Um, That's yeah, right. they, they, they've put that on the Mega Drive Mini. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, I saw like they've got Castle of Illusion and stuff on there too. And we said, on, like we've yeah. said in the past, we didn't think there's any way they get the license to put some no, of that didn't. stuff on there. So they're really getting some of the best of the Mega Drive on that thing. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, you probably all own a Mega Drive Mini by this stage. It, but if Wiz and Liz is on it, I'm buying it. I'll put it that way. And then we end this whole page with just a list of basically just the things that are coming out, roughly in order of, of, of when they're coming out. Cosmic Spacehead, hooray, I like that. James Pond's coming out on Game Gear, fair enough. And then a game called Unnecessary Roughness is coming out <laughs> on the Mega Drive in November. Is it, is it a sanding simulator? Like, you've just given different... <laughs> different grades of emery cloth and just make things really nice and smooth i wish i just looked it up it's flipping american football game oh what a waste of a great name jumping back there there's one mentioned in the codemaster section there was much information on games for 94 including a micro machine style game with dinosaurs called dino riders oh now i mean obviously children of our age remember dino riders as a cartoon and toy line from the 80s so i had to go and look this one up and i think they got the name wrong oh because at one point in production it was known as dino raiders racers oh racers and it was then later retitled demon dinosaurs whoa and then it was cancelled and never Oh, no! I will say, look at the um, little box out at the bottom with the different products when it's on sale and all of this. My White Whale is on that. I have been after a copy of Terminator on the Mega CD for years. I've I've got it on the Mega Drive. It's hard as heck. Like, it's impossibly difficult. The music's wonderful. But apparently the Mega CD version has the best music. And I I (laughs) want it. I covet that thing. Uh, apparently, have you not? Can you not just listen to the music somewhere online? Don't make it easy for me, Dave. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, I guess I could and haven't realised that in the last <laughs> however long YouTube's been a thing. But shush. <laughs> but shush. Oh yeah, we have all recorded human entertainment at our fingertips, don't we? Because it's not the past. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's just revelation after revelation, this podcast. Isn't it? <laughs> well, here's a revelation. I've just Googled Demon Dinosaurs Stroke Dino Racer, and it's nothing like Micro Machines. What on earth are they on about? It must have got developed to all hell until it just yeah. fizzled out. Because what I'm looking at, it looks more like Mario Kart, but with, honestly, like Kung Fu type fighters at the front of the screen. I don't know what's going on. It was the 90s. Dinosaurs were hot, but I guess yeah. they waited too long. I wonder if that's ever changed. What, dinosaurs not being cool? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think loving dinosaurs is just... It's like running around fighting with sticks as swords. Yeah. It's kind of ingrained into the childhood experience. Who didn't love dinosaurs as a kid? No, and and yeah. we were extraordinarily lucky to be children when Jurassic Park came out. Oh, boy. And also to be children before Jurassic Park came out to give us the full context for Jurassic Park. That, yes. Mm. Now, I, of course, no, I mean, I'd never heard of a Velociraptor or a no. Gallimimus before. Uh, that's the first time I've heard of that now. That's the ones that did the stampede in Jurassic Park. All right. <laughs> Kid Chameleon, part five, written by Michael Cook, art by Brian Williamson, colours by Steve White, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Casey and Susie find a huge tower, the top which is the exit from Wildside. Transforming into the Iron Knight, Casey scales the tower with Susie on his back, fending off the miniature biplanes that attack them as he goes. At the top, the pair are confronted by a huge cybernetic gorilla. Casey instructs Susie to take the exit while he takes on the creature, but while he tries to transform back into Berserker to match the beast's strength, he winds up turning back into his normal, helpless self. 
I love the Iron Knight. He was my favorite one <laughs> as a kid. I do like the look of him. It's basically all I have to say about this. We have the measure of Kid Chameleon at this point. Yeah. It's doing superhero stuff. This is basically Thor with a sword instead of a hammer. You know, we've had our Hulk moment. We've had our Baxter Stockman the Fly moment. This is He's just doing the old Shakespearean Thor speak. And also there's a King Kong riff going on in it for some reason. It's a lot of fun. I'm still enjoying it. Guy? I was just going to say the artwork is the most 90s. I know Kid Chameleon <laughs> itself is an incredibly 90s game, but the art, mm. the pinks, the purples, the sort of the random shapes on the enormous building and just the look of Iron Knight. Yeah. It's gorgeous. I love Kid Chameleon. And as a game, I think it's... Ah, oh, I enjoy the game. I like how weirdly easy it is to find warp zones, but when you get to the warp zones, they go in no sane order, so you can find <laughs> yeah. yourself looping around. One of the things... Now, this is something that can't be solved by YouTube, Dave. One of the things that <laughs> I really would like, in the way that Platinum Games seem to be redoing everything, so they did Star Fox, they've done Metal Gear, they've done Nier, I would love to see a Platinum Games take on Kid Chameleon. Oh, wait, I yeah. cannot think of anything more... Ex- all of the different gameplay styles, the different characters, just give me a sort of quasi-open-world Kid Chameleon thing by Platinum. And I will be happy as Larry. Yeah. It's a great premise. It's ripe for updating. The original game had an idea, and it's like the adaptation just took the idea and did it better. Well, that's yeah. it. The, it was. It's a stellar idea, and it feels as if the game was made before they had the idea. And then they just went, I guess this will explain the game. Whereas <laughs> the idea itself is way stronger than that. And so the comic kind of becomes the... The, the best version because it goes alright yeah. let's do that idea properly let's have a bit yeah. of fun yeah, we, yeah we've, we've got all of the Avengers in one dude like you basically yeah. just like reach into your pocket which incredible badass guy do you need to be for this situation it's like a Swiss army knife of burly men <laughs> I want a remake I want a, a just a Platinum Games version of it because yeah it's such a rich exciting idea I don't think anyone's done something similar to it since but obviously power up changing gameplay yeah but changing sure, the yeah. character well, there's the Werehog. No, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's the first place my mind is going, but I'm thinking of like the Lego games where you can just rotate between Oh, yeah, 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 kind of. Although that doesn't have any gimmick attached where it's someone turning into them. Yeah, and it's also it's like for a different mechanic where you're literally just pulling a character out of a party and to solve puzzles rather than, you know, maybe just wanting to employ different fighting styles or things like you could imagine this would be used for in like a 3D shape in a... Kind of, I don't know, what do they call games in an open world game? <laughs> what do they call games? <laughs> I don't play video games, they're for nerds! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this would need to have a bit more of a mechanic than the Lego games do, because imagine if Kid Chameleon, halfway through this comic, went, A lever! I can't pull levers! <laughs> who do I need to be who can pull a lever? <laughs> But, you know, a serious redo of Kid Chameleon would be you would have very different play styles associated with a tank-like character like Berserker or a sword wielder like the Iron Knight or Red yeah. Stealth. Or, Almost a sort or, of paper, scissors, stone mechanic of you're trying mm. to work out which Kid Chameleon expression is right for this particular goofus that you're fighting. 
And weirdly, yeah. in the game, the thing that you get by being the Iron Knight is you can climb walls now. It is climbing. Ah, oh, mm. well, that's why they did it here then. Okay. Oh, is it? He, he, cl- he, he climbs the tower. Oh, oh yeah. So he does. Oh, yeah. I should have looked that up, yeah. Because we checked <laughs> everything else about these guys along the way. I <laughs> didn't think to check that. I like his sweet shield, which has got a really stylized K on it. Like oh, yeah, I-K. it is a K. Oh, I didn't even notice that. A bit that. like the Dead Kennedys logo. Yeah, it's like an I-K, yeah. I love the purple. Mm. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't immediately think to make a character named Iron Knight be purple, but they did, and it's great, and I love it. I wonder if it's touching on Robocop's design, because he had that sort of blue shimmer. Mm. Well, that's it. I've always sort of read it as, like, silver but with purple light, but there's definitely something a bit more purple to him than that. And then the the gleaming black chrome of his sword yeah. is healed. The, the obsidian blade... <laughs> Don't imagine if you're not looking at this, readers. It don't imagine a knight like <laughs> of the Round Table. It's almost I mean, a robot. I do. It's it's yeah. It he is there. a knight, but he's like a robotman as well. Yeah, that sort of robot heavy metal knight. Yeah, who talks like Thor. I mean, all knights are sort of heavy metal. I guess that's, that's what armor is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and these like these little biplanes come down. Behold, they doth spit fire like dragons, but like dragons they hath not the stomach for the taste of cold steel. Yes, he talks like that all the way through, and it's uh, fine. <laughs> Prithee follow, milady. Oh no. Yeah, exactly. And also little black X's in little white circles on the red wings of the planes. There. I wonder if they would do those still these days. Probably not. This is the penultimate Kid Chameleon chapter, so we is end it? on a cliffhanger. It is, yeah, chapter five. Well, I wasn't sure if it would be like Wonderboy, where it has 26 million chapters. <laughs> well, Wonderboy, I think, only got more chapters because it had fewer pages. It's only got four pages instead of five, so I think maybe that's why they, they balanced it Oh, out. okay. Right, I'm bored of this now. Is there anything else? Can we, can we, Clearly. Can we finish Kid <laughs> Chameleon? Uh, is there anything pithy we can add to the end? <laughs> No, I think I'm good guy. Anything? I realise that I've inadvertently dressed like him in the past. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... It, well, like, it was the platonic 90s idea of cool. Yeah, yeah, I would advertently dress like him if I thought I could pull it off, and I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Refuso! Refuso! All right, well, we got four games in the review zone this time. Reviews by Vincent Lowe and yes, David hello. Gibbon this Who's issue. This? No sign of Mr. Tony Takushi this issue. And the reviews aren't credited again, so we don't know. You got Ren and Stimpy on the Game Gear. Yeah, I mean, and it was on Nickelodeon, a, a new, new TV, TV channel, channel for people, people with yeah. cable or satellite dishes. Yeah. Do you notice how this review for Ren and Stimpy tells us not one button thing about the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing. Battletoads is coming out on the Game Gear. Not much to say about that. It's Battletoads. It's on the Game Gear. Game Gear and... And Mega Drive, funnily. They've just put the Game Gear logo oh. there, but it was originally for the NES, I think? Yes. I was just amused to see it get 85, because obviously Battletoads today is remembered for being a famous pain in the arse with its difficulty level, but it was reviewed very well contemporarily. Well, that's because games at the time, the harder the game, the better the score in those days. That was seen as a good thing. I have a ongoing thing with Battletoads. Ooh. So a friend of mine, uh, I don't know if you know Nate Crowley, yeah. he does some video game things intermittently. He has an ongoing thing with me where one day when he has me, he will pay me a decent living wage to sit on my own in a room and write Battletoads fanfiction between the nine to five hours of an office day. 
everything that I've written would then immediately be fed into a shredder <laughs> and my day would end. He desperately wants to fund this incredibly bleak, monotonous exit and I'd have to write it like if I didn't if I yeah. just wrote nonsense, then obviously I'd get my pay docked. So I did write him some really bad Battletoads fan fiction a few years ago as a sort of <laughs> proof of concept. But now it's getting eerily close to becoming a reality. He's written a book about video games, he's working for Rock Paper Shotgun. I was gonna say, I think he's got the kind of clout that could get a Kickstarter going for this. I'm seriously worried that he's been playing an extraordinarily long game to have me <laughs> pointlessly write Battletoads fanfiction that's destined only for destruction. <laughs> Hope so. Uh, so that's all I know about Battletoads. But you got paid, right? Oh, I get paid, yeah, but... There you go, then, that's it. No, no problems otherwise. Oh, but just knowing that another day in the office of generating content that no human will read, but has to be written... Yes, that's late capitalism. That's what we all do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Roadrunner on the Master System just looks like... Honestly, I found this quite depressing when I looked it up. It it looks like a perfectly functional, normal game. But because it's Roadrunner, it has the mechanic that Sonic has, where you start by running at a normal speed and then your legs whip round like that. But there are no curves and ups and downs and loops, so it's just normal flat platforming, a couple of you know stars to collect or whatever it is you're collecting, and your running is always to be broken moments later. There's never any use for it. I found it quite sad. Doesn't it seem odd that it's even a game about the Roadrunner? Doesn't the game seem like it should be about the Coyote? Wait a minute, yeah! Oh, but then you'd be setting the player up to always fail, because the Coyote can't win. Oh, that, that is true. Yeah, that's Actually, that's probably it. So yeah. you'd be developing all of these tracks, you'd be going through all the puzzles, and then like, ah, oh, no. Sucks to be you. Like a rock would come flying out of the TV at the player. Oh, that's fun. And Sherlock Holmes 2 on the Mega CD. A sequel for the Mega CD already, whenever it's only just managed to get past 10 games for the charts. It looks like the kind of game that is a demonstration of CD technology rather than anything you'd actually want to have a go on. Yeah, three cases. It's Well, it's almost all just reading documents on screen. I, I fired up a Let's Play and it was someone just um, going through lists of obituaries in papers, presumably looking for the one that they were actually trying to find information about. And then now and then, if you were lucky, you would get a little video. And the videos yeah. are great because those are Americans trying to sound like Irish people. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I don't know if they were deliberately trying to sound like Irish people. That was the, the closest that they... You know the American-Irish sort of Scottish... Oh, yes, you know, that, that accent there that they do and, and all those um, yeah. American TV dramas. Listen, honestly, that's too good. This was one where <laughs> I started out thinking they were doing Dickensian Cockney and then realised they were trying to do some form of Irish or Scottish or something. And genuinely, I can't tell which one it is. So those are great. Well worth a look. Might take a look at that after this. <laughs> When you turn the page, we have a quite alarming double page spread of some racing cars. I don't care. Oh, gosh, I remember that really well. What, the advert or the game? No, the, the advert for whatever reason. Oh, Just because it's a big double page spread and it's a nice image. I mean, I don't care about race cars or anything, but for whatever reason, the the image of the advert is just... um... Well, it's an advert for F1 on the Mega Drive. Uh, There are some quotes here. Mega Tech gives it 94% and says, The best racing game there is. It'll go straight to pole position in the charts as soon as it's released. Pole position! And uh, you won't find a faster game on any Sega machine, says Sega Force Mega, who gives it 92%. I've never heard of either of them. (laughs) Uh, Mean Machine says it's the best racing game on the Mega Drive. Mega Drive Advanced Gaming 
says, It looks brilliant, moves gorgeously and sounds superb. Fast, fun and full of action. Brilliant. And Sega Power says, Stunningly addictive and outrageously fast gameplay. Blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. Just uh, the fact that there are, represented here on the page, five separate Mega Drive magazines, two of which I've heard of. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Remember that snapshot in time when that was a thing? Like, now it's no problem at all to have half a dozen quotes from different sources on game boxes because it can just be from a website or yeah. whatever. But the idea that there were that many dedicated Sega, and in some cases it sounds like dedicated Mega Drive <laughs> magazines, talk about a snapshot in time. Yeah, I'd love to get hold of some of them now, honestly. Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage, Part 5, written by Mark Miller, art by Peter Richardson, letters by Tom Frame. As Axel opens fire on Hawk and his men, Max avails of the distraction to break his bonds and slip away. Hawk gives chase and the pair fight, but the crime lord is unable to stop Max from locating and activating Blaze's discarded police tracker. Led by Murphy, the police arrive en masse, just as Blaze and Axel come running out of the plant, too late to stop the cops from dropping an incendiary device on the building, sending it up in flames with Max still inside. Hi. The opening line in this one. I flip in love. <laughs> I know, right? Axel's there with both guns blazing, and he's shouting, You jokers are under arrest. You have the right to come quietly. Now that, that is such a perfect distillation of what this comic is. The line, you yep. have the right to come quietly. It's a child playing at cops. <laughs> <laughs> Based on films he hasn't even really watched. He's just gathered the general sense of. Yeah, because his parents didn't let him, because yeah. they were violent 1980s action cop movies. Yep. But he's seen a couple of clips. Maybe he sneaked to look at it around a friend's house. He was delirious. Yeah. He'd eaten so many fizzy cherry cola bottles he could barely understand what was going on in his life. <laughs> and he's come away with this phrase, you have the right to come quietly. It's brilliant. <laughs> Guy, what was your uh, uh, thought, feelings about Streets of Rage back in the day? It's it's fun. I remember sort of enjoying it, but possibly it feeling a bit naughty because it is a lot sort of darker. Yeah. There's there's weapons, there's explosions. There's a massive drug factory. <laughs> yeah, like it's this is big boy stuff. And, and like you say, it is like a child writing an episode of I don't know CSI. Yeah, the beats are there, but misunderstood. <laughs> See, I, I think that is quite deliberate. Yes, I think so. Because it's Mark Miller in it. Yeah, it's this encapsulation of the direction Mark Miller's career would take. If if Mark isn't doing this deliberately, then he must be the kid from Big or something. <laughs> this is someone who's who's just careened through a successful career by doing something accidentally. I guess it must be deliberate. Well, I mean, I feel like that's where his career has definitely wound up. Uh I think he does do it completely unironically now and thinks it's cool. But I think earlier on, he had a bit more of a titter of wit, as we would say. Sorry, I've just had my mind slightly blown. So going back through this, seeing a picture of, I think, is it Axel? Axel Stone? Yeah. Covered in the bandages. And I just just remembered when I read the first issue of the first Streets of Rage comic and Sonic the Comet and he's in bed and he's all like absolutely yeah. buggered yeah. and like having a really bad, and I remember that feeling quite visceral and quite yeah. sort of, yeah, adult and dark Yeah, that's exactly what this comic wanted you to think that it was Yes, <laughs> like a cargo cult of being grown up. Yeah, yeah, it's not in the slightest, but it really wants you to think that it is and that that is why I think that it's being done, at least to some extent, deliberately and, and and ironically, oh, instead of just being Mark Miller genuinely thinking that he was being super cool and adult by doing <laughs> this. No, I definitely think so. I mean, yeah, because why would you? Like, if you were hired to write for Sonic the Comic, why would you go like, I will write 
the most incredibly violent and dark. No, he's he's having a lot of fun because he's found out he's allowed. Just bashing your action figures together. Yeah. Oh, oh, and this is the one where they almost say a swear. Yes. This is the one. <gasps> yes. This is the one that I've been talking about since issue one. I saw it. I was so happy for you. Yes, yes. Um, Hawk and two of his guards are following Max after he's uh, tipped his chair over the edge of the, the platform they're on and broken it and managed to get out of his ropes and gone after the tracer. And Max is up on top of like a, I don't know what it is, like an industrial weight or a mold or a press It's a big weight, isn't it? Yeah. But it's hanging from the ceiling by a big chain. Is that some sort of magnet that picks up cars like one of those? Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I mean... It's, it's a generic a, it's, heavy object. It's yeah, that's that's all that matters for the purposes. Of I did this when story. I was reading yeah. this. I was thinking like I'd love to get hold of the script and see what it says that that is. Right? Did they even tell us where this is set? You know, it's an industrial plant, but for what? Do we know what or where or why? It's just <laughs> that's where action movies in the eighties ended up. So that's yeah, that's yeah. Weird. It doesn't matter because it's the one from Terminator Two. Yeah, exactly. So Max pulls the lever that releases this weight and it lands on and crushes the two goons. And I do remember thinking when I was a kid, well, they're dead. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that thing looks man-killingly heavy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But then the hawk whips around and goes, you b-! And he's cut <laughs> off and it's yeah. like, you almost said past. He did. It's a bad word. He did. <laughs> I mean, of course, this is, this is right after Max has said, heads up, creepoids. And later <laughs> in the issue, we get... Uh, you piece of crud. <laughs> it's wonderful to have all these bowdlerized little swears and, and then they just go for you b- instead. Well, maybe he was going to say a bowdlerized one. Maybe he was going to say, you billiard ball. <laughs> <laughs> you blinking ninny. <laughs> when I first saw this page 20 years on, yeah. the two panels where you see uh, see the bad guy and Max, I didn't quite register that it was Max, and I honestly thought that the bad guy got so grumpy he spontaneously developed a tattoo of a lightning bolt. (laughs) (laughs) Just the sheer fury he grew a lightning bolt. Oh, imagine that. It just just cracks open across your face. (laughs) Like, all your, your shirt rips open from your muscles, and your face starts to split apart. Counterproductive. I do love how Hawk is visibly bricking it in the previous panel as well. (laughs) And then we get a page outside where Peter Richardson brings back the 1980s Halloween sticker set palette that I love so (laughs) much. I don't know. If I was going to set out to colour a page like this, I would just not know what to do. It's like everything on one side is bright turquoise and everything on the other side is bright pink. And there's some dark purples in there like these... There's some yellow in there. These are colours that are stark and, and ought to not, when you put them together, paint a realistic image. But it somehow paints the most realistic image in the comic so far of them. Hyper real. Yes. It's fascinating. I've never understood how this sort of thing works. It's the uh, the Tim Burton's Batman school of mm. colour theory. Yeah. Huh. And that's where the cavalry has showed up because they did manage to press the button that summons the guy with the car and the rockets. I'm amazed, uh, given how the story has thus far presented the entire department as being on the take, except for Murphy. I'm surprised Murphy was able to get together what I presume are a bunch of honest enough cops that would actually be willing to come out here and do this. Yeah, this is my question. Who is this? It seems as if the story beat of the cops are all corrupt has just sort of stopped now because we're more interested Uh in the drug baron. Well, well, this is Murphy, so we know he's he's here and, and, and leading this and we've met him before. But 
Yeah, who are the other cops? I guess they must well, just... chopper squad, obviously. You know, the department of the police that has helicopters that drop incendiary bombs. You know, those guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In, into the yeah. city they live in. I do love this uh, panel on the final page of Hawk swinging the hook at Max. He's just picked up a hook that has oh, wow, from, yes. from somewhere off of a conveyor line of, of hooks that carry things through the industrial plant. A lot of kineticism in that big swing. Yeah. And it does look really sharp and horrible. It's vicious. Yeah, yeah. It looks more like a, a knife or something rather than an actual... A claw. Uh, you know, it, it's more like a meat hook or something mm-hmm. as if this was also... You know, it, th- this plant, it does everything that you needed <laughs> yeah. from a, a, yeah. a, a 1980s action movie finale. You know, it also was like a warehouse where they kept... Uh, cold meat yep. and hung it up on hooks like this but it's also where they you know an industrial furnace where they melted things and it's also somewhere they had large electromagnets <laughs> and weights just hanging around it was whatever you needed yeah but yeah the the hook fight doesn't matter in the end because a bomb is dropped on their heads and the building blows up I mean, I think we can, given that the next issue is, as it says, next issue, Mad Max. Oh, yes. I think Max is probably all right. He's, he's just livid. <laughs> Here's a little story for you. Sometime, interestingly, recently, last month or the month before, I made the latest of my pleas to Twitter to please tell me what book I'm thinking of. Because when I was starting at secondary school in 1993, I had a choose-your-own-adventure book, and I found it really interesting. It was one of those ones that was just a tad too grown up for me to really get into. But because of that, I was completely obsessed with it, and I took it to school with me every single day in my bag, and it got increasingly covered in ink from a burst ink cartridge. Not of the printer sort, you know, of the pen sort, with the lovely little glass ball in that you would, once the cartridge was spent, take out, clean with your fingers, and just roll around in your mouth for a few hours. Yes. I had this this book, and all I could remember about it was that it was in some way green, and it had a knight on the cover. And uh, a few people who were into choose-your-own-adventure books came to my aid and started suggesting them. They're going, this one? How about this one? How about this one? And every single one was wrong, and they were honestly trying their best. They came very, very close to what I was asking for, but it was never the correct book, and I just resigned to never knowing what it was. And then I turn the page, and here is a full-page advert. Just some adverts. Just the page adverts. You choose, be the victim or the victor, in a different kind of adventure, Virtual Reality Adventure. This is a collection of four books, one of which, Green Blood, is the one I was thinking of with the knight on it. And uh, isn't that fantastic? Flipping is. I love doing this. I love that. How just how many things that I didn't realise came from this. Presumably, I yeah. saw this advert and that made me want the book. I don't remember that. I thought I just saw it in Smiths. Or we're all just part of the same sphere. Yes. You know, it's fascinating to me. They're only three ninety nine. You should go and get one. And um, <laughs> I uh, posted this on uh, you know on Twitter. I found a couple of the people who were helping me out, and I, and I posted that. And they pointed out to me that it was written by the guy who wrote the first nightmare chooser and adventure book, Labyrinths of Fear, which was a huge thing in my life that I was very excited about and taught me the word possess. <laughs> what was the author's name? Can't remember. <laughs> oh, what's well, is it not right there in front of you? Nope. Oh. They didn't they didn't put the name of the author on the front. Didn't even put it on the book anywhere, no. Ian Livingston's fighting fantasy would have had something to say about not crediting the authors clearly on the front. Well hang on, it was only yesterday this happened, so let me see, it'll still be in my mentions. Just a minute. Um it was Dave Morris. Never heard of him. 
Well, no. But he wrote a lot of these. <laughs> Q-Zone. It's a Q-Zone special. Yes, a Bubsy the Bobcat complete guide. Yeah. I feel like it... you're really straining against a format whenever you try to present a guide to an entire 13-level platformer in two pages. <laughs> Not only that, it's a Q-Zone special. But mm. the introduction says... This is an above-average platform game, both in terms of quality and difficulty. But like, just don't use the word average in your opening sentence <laughs> when you're devoting a two-page special to it. Who's <laughs> own special? This game's all right. That's no, fine. It's okay. It's a diversion, isn't it? Keep you off the streets, I guess. It's above-average. Still, that's <laughs> damning with faint praise. History tells us that above-average is praise for Bubsy the Bobcat. <laughs> yes, it hasn't gone down well in history, no, has it? No, it hasn't been well recorded. But yeah, no, they're clear about the fact here that this is a good game. I mean, there was a review or something recently, or a preview or something, and and they said it looked quite good as well. Hmm. So, again, I don't quite know exactly what's changed. Start by going right until you reach the edge of the hill. Jump onto and across four platforms. Go right. Collect the t-shirt. Jump up. (sighs) It's thrilling stuff. It really saps the joy out of video games. Doesn't it? (laughs) Exactly what I was thinking. Just imagine a man tonelessly reading this into your ear as you watch a blank television screen. I've been through that because you used to be able to phone up helplines for platform games. And I did. I phoned the helpline for a couple of games. Fantasy World Dizzy on the Spectrum, which was... I didn't even phone that. I was like, I'm never going to be able to write it all down quickly enough. So, Mum, can you phone up and write it down because you're... adult and therefore better than me (laughs) check out richie rich over here phoning cheat lines my word i phoned one once yeah and it was when everyone else was out of the house get a load of this guy well this is the thing i was only allowed to do it the once so we had to get it all written down then right so and also they did help you by dividing the game into parts i think you phoned a number depending on how far through the game you were but of course if you didn't know how they divided it it was no use so yeah mum used shorthand or i don't know if it was shorthand or just her writing was that bad but she wrote it down (laughs) so quickly that after she'd finished and got down what was ostensibly the complete solution for Fantasy World Dizzy, neither of us could make out a single thing she'd written down, and it was all just a total waste of time and money. Mum, you've given me a riddle. That's how they get you, those those cheat lines. I mean, I suppose this would have been all right if this was if you had this in your lap as you were playing the game, but Yes. When you've got a sum total of five screenshots, you know. Well, and this is why they do justify it by giving you the passwords, which yeah. presumably take you straight to each level. So that's yeah. kind of alright. And also, I do like that they, they admit in the last one, the end boss is almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see them admit that, because of course, these days when you're playing a boss that's very nearly impossible, you look up help <laughs> online and every single person who's written a word about it says, you shouldn't have any trouble with this easy boss. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's really easy. I just, I can't get over how completely joyless this reduction of a video game is. If, <laughs> if you could just, like, indulge me for a second and say, chapter five. Jump up into a roller coaster car. As it falls to the ground from the track, jump onto a platform when it's far right. Walk off the far edge, continue walking, fall to the ground and go right. When you reach a dead end near spikes, jump up onto the roller coaster track. Walk right and jump over more spikes. Watch out for the dynamite. Continue right until end. I mean, isn't that life in general? Just continue right until the end. <laughs> uh, no, no, actually, that's more of a descriptive of our current political scene. hey <laughs> The only other time I phoned up a, a game helpline, by the way, was the game Bubber and Sticks. And I phoned them to ask, are there any cheats for Bubber and Sticks? And they said, there might be, we don't know. And I said, well, if I find any out, do you want me to tell you? And they said, yes. 
that definitely a helpline and not just like a pal of yours that you found accidentally? And I did. I did phone them back and tell them the cheats to Bobber and Sticks when I found them. (laughs) That's so special and pure, Dave. That's genuinely really charming. Decap Attack, starring Chuck D. Head, part two. Written and drawn by Nigel Kitching, letters by Steve Potter. Chuck's anger at his new living situation, with his own head collapsed into his torso and a talking skull named Head for a replacement, is interrupted by the arrival of Max D. Cap, Lord of the Underworld, who wants Frank N. Stein to create for him an army of the undead. Max's minions attack to capture the Professor. I'm reading this out as if the story matters. And when Chuck tries to fight back, they throw him off the castle tower to his second death. Yes, I suppose so. It didn't really, as I was reading this, occur to me that there was a story. I know, it's the <laughs> hardest one for me to write a quick sum up of. Because it doesn't f***ing matter. <laughs> In this Fortnite's episode, there's some funny pictures at the end. <laughs> Has either of you ever played Decap Attack? I have. Ooh, oh, we, we both, both have. have. <laughs> I don't think I played it at the time. I think I've played it since. But it was definitely the comic that made me want to play it. Mm. Because there's this baffling madcap cartoon nonsense. I know that's a silly thing to say about Sonic the comic, but this is particularly sort of 90s and weird, bordering on like gross-out comedy and that kind of thing. We compared it to Round the Bend or Cosgrove Hall last episode. Yeah, There's a bit of trapdoor in there, isn't there? Mm. Maybe I'm yes. just thinking of the skull, but I think I saw a little more than that as well. But I remember finding the game itself quite unsettling, because although Chuck D. Head, he's got a horrible face and a really thick, vile neck and piano key teeth, in the game it's just like you're extruding meat out of his chest. Mm. Like, just this horrible meat with eyes that you use as a weapon and then intermittently hoik a skull at somebody. And it's... I've never finished it. I've never properly gotten into it in the same way that I've never finished, say, Altered Beast or something like that. It just gets a little bit... Not bleak, but just a a trifle too unsettling for me. (laughs) Gosh. Mm. I never thought of that. No. It definitely strikes me as a level one game where, yeah, you you started up a few times in your life and go, oh, yeah, this, and then I don't Mm, see myself ever finishing it. Yeah. Now, this issue does actually start the plot of the game. Oh, yeah. Max Decap, he's the body of the game, and he wants, or rather not wants, but because the game takes control of Professor Stein's creations to serve as his army. Now, in the game, it's like he's broken up the island they all live on, which is shaped like a skeleton, into its component body parts, and there's none of that here, but we get the plot of the game come in now. Once again, making Decap Attack an actual adaptation of the premise of the game, like Kid Chameleon and Streets of Rage, and, and unlike the strips before it. Was it the same developer as Kid Chameleon? Because I'm looking at the art style and the levels, and it looks like a Kid Chameleon level. It was developed by a Japanese company called Victokai, and it's actually a Doki Doki Panic situation, oh. where it was completely reversioned from a Japanese game about a magical hat. I've heard of a game called Magical Hat. It's called Magical Hat. <laughs> Magical Hat's Turbo Flight Adventure is the name of the game it is based on. Sweet. Um, I will say, just just watching gameplay footage, I don't know if there's something weird about this particular YouTube video, but there's a real sort of jerkiness to his movements that feels like a fever dream. <laughs> He's moving very slowly, but 
it looks like he's moving very quickly. I, I just don't think I've got the the moral fortitude to play decapitate. <laughs> I think I'm t- just too, too much of a, a delicate little flower. It's really giving me the willies. Bless. <laughs> do you have the moral fortitude for the strip? Oh, I think I do. The bright bubblegum colours, the ridiculous monster faces. Oh, it's so good. I love this. I'd forgotten all about this one gag, and I remember oh, it, how I know much which it one made me howl with laughter again seeing it. Chris, yesterday, I know which one you're going to say, and yesterday... I proper like ah, ha, 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 when I read it. No, uh, <laughs> the comic opens with a health warning that says this strip contains jokes so dumb they could seriously damage your sense of humor. With a little footnote from Megadroid commenting, particularly the natural yogurt joke on page three. And when you get to page three, there's no natural yogurt joke. And at the very bottom, the footnote says, note, we apologize for the non-appearance of the natural yogurt joke, which has been removed on the advice of our solicitors. (laughs) That's so brilliant. It's friggin' genius. I had completely forgotten that gag. And like, even as I was reading the strip again, I'd forgotten what the punchline to the setup was. I'd forgotten that there was no natural yogurt joke. I thought there would just be some, you know, basic joke about natural yogurt because that was the thing people did jokes about in the 90s. In the 90s. Oh my god. Oh, Decapitag is the gift that keeps on giving. It is a really nuanced joke. I know know this sounds really silly, but for... For a comic about video games, that is a really solid, interesting gag to use. Yeah. Yeah. Nigel's, he's doing the equivalent of what Streets of Rage is doing. You know, he's gone like, right, I'm going to go all out. And for some reason, the editorial staff on this comic never says anything about what we're doing or questions why we're doing it. They don't seem to say boo, do they? (laughs) So I'm just going to make a full-on gag strip of the sort that comes directly out of my heart, regardless of what the subject material happens to be. When I would play the game after reading the strip, you know, years after the fact, I found myself very let down by the game because it did not have the sense of humour that this had. You know, Max D. Camp is the big bad final boss of the game and in this you know that's how we're introduced to him the most evil monstrous creature in existence and he does the whole villains be well i mean you can't you know stein introduces him as the most evil monstrous creature the inhuman being known only as max d cap and then igor chimes in from the side it's because he never returned your lawnmower and then Max does the big speech. Tremble in the presence of the master of all the horrors of the underworld, the monarch of the unspeakable creatures and small wriggly things that your human mind can scarcely imagine. And by the way, I don't have your lawnmower. And then we see behind the scenes that he's got like a little I, legal it, advice guy. Yeah, that gag, <laughs> like the idea that he's a normal human enough guy to be miffed about the lawnmower remark is funny <laughs> in and of itself. But once he completes his speech and he steps down and he turns back and he goes, it's like, you will have to be persuaded. <laughs> uh, how do you think it went, Rupert? <laughs> <laughs> we turn around and we see his like a little personal advisor, a little accountant guy, a little <laughs> pince-nez and little moustache, who's the guy who actually writes his speeches and, and gives him advice in <laughs> eviling. And the laugh was quite good, quite chilling, and I like the pause before persuaded, but I think the lawnmower remark spoiled the effect somewhat. The, the whole thing feels incredibly British. Like Very. The, mm. Is it? Is it he, I'm sure he's obviously called Igor. Mm, yes, or he is. Igor, the, the, the little horrible green dude. Yes. Um, you can just hear him say, oh, if you must create life, at least make it small and furry. I said, but would yeah. you listen? Like, you can think that he's been spending his entire time talking like this and just 
just because he never returned your lawnmower. It's so small, which is yeah. lovely. And yeah, as you, as you say, the, the neuroses of, of this terrible monster having to have a writer and a, a filter for that. It's just really petty and British and, and little. <laughs> I mean, we t- we've, we've talked yeah. before about how many Americans just sort of don't get Sonic the comic. And some of that is a product of having a whole different marketing idea behind Sonic that just didn't line up with how our marketing presented him and consequently how our fiction treated the character. But you wouldn't blame a single American for not getting decap attack. <laughs> and I try not to listen to the little voice in my head that says, "And therefore they don't get anything." <laughs> Sonic, <laughs> so, they're wrong about Sonic because their Sonic couldn't have decap attack in it, and that's vitally important. It's an important piece of the puzzle. I mean, that is—it's <laughs> not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the game, something that wouldn't work in Decap Attack happens, which is that as a reward for having defeated the guy, yes. they basically give him skin over his over skull and his body, and now he's just like... They turn him back to normal. They turn him back to normal. He's just a sort of a boy. And then that genuinely is the end of the game. Yeah. Whereas I also looked up the end of Haunting, starring Poltergeist, and the end of that is that he, having done his Poltergeisting stuff, he also earns his chance to come back to the living. You know, the, the beam of light comes down and he turns into a living person person and he goes hooray i'm alive and he strikes a pose and just a big anvil lands on him and he's dead again (laughs) (laughs) and that's the end of the game if only that had been the end of the decap attack game that would have been way more appropriate yeah that's why the whole tone of the decap attack game it's not compatible with the comic it's on a surface level it all works but once you get any deeper into the game at all yeah but it's a silly halloween thing and he's gone okay silly and halloween jokes got it and well, not just Halloween jokes, but you know that sort of yeah. thing. He's just run with that to the fullest extent. And God, he, I, I wish they'd had him working on the game. What a bucket of tropes to reach into and just pull yes. things from. The different monster designs, the horn helmets, so much headbutting. It's like a wedding in Nuneaton. <laughs> You know, I don't think we've actually properly explained... My synopsis just says Chuck's head gets collapsed into his torso. And that's true, but he becomes able to extrude it out on a big sort of extending... um, It's vile. Knack. It's like a sausage with a man's face on it. Yeah, it's like this meat, <laughs> meaty sinew that his head just shoots out between the bandages of his chest. And that becomes his primary mode of attack because that's what he does in the game. See, so headbutts things and he throws head the skull at things too. It's a little bit like what Last of the Summer Wine would be if they all fell into the goo from the end of Robocop. <laughs> so yeah, for your uh, your listeners at home who haven't seen this comic, just imagine that. Yeah, yeah. If I can point out one specific bad guy, it's like the guy with the big old chin that's floating on a brain. Yes. Um, Catherine, come and look at this stupid face. <laughs> he looks like the hamburglar sitting on a pile of meat. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the guy who looks like a cross between the dragonborn from Skyrim and either one of the Muppets or a dude from Labyrinth. Oh yeah, with it. Oh look at him. There is a sort of um, puppety energy about these, isn't there? Yes. It's so good. In a just world, there would be way more Nigel Kitchen comics than there are in this one. At one point, Chuck D. Head throws head at the strange-looking sort of Skyrim dude, Say, I guess you could say, I was using my head. And there's a little footnote for that uh, from Megadroid saying, and if the writer tries to get away with any more gags as corny as this one, he'll be back to writing My Little Pony. I looked it up just in case. Sadly, no My Little Pony writing credits for Nigel. That would have been 
even funnier if it was. <laughs> Back in the 90s, that might have been a condemnation, but today, if you got to oh, go yeah. up to work on My Little Pony... The... <laughs> oh, you'd be very happy. Well, very happy with that pony money. Nigel Dobbin did. He, he did drew he? Uh, My Little Pony later on, yeah. Oh, did he actually draw My Little Pony? Yeah. Not this Nigel, the uh, other Nigel. Uh, Nigel yeah. uh, I'm getting flashed signals from my wife saying, this is why I didn't read this when I was a child, <laughs> because of the, the ragging on My Little Pony, which is, yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. That is fair, although I do think she would really enjoy decap oh, now, I think she and would you should make her read decap. There's a really sweet little touch where Chuck D-Head is thrown off, or headbutted off the building by the sort of Gruffalo, goth, Gothalo? I'll go with Gothalo. <laughs> yeah. And he hits the floor, a like, big pile of rocks flies up in the air, and there's a big thunk. And then yeah. Head hits the floor, and the sound effect is tunk. And it's <laughs> like dropping just one letter and writing yes. it much smaller. It's a really lovely little gag that might not even filter through when you read it, but you'll it just conveys that sense beautifully of thunk. Thunk. And then it says next issue, thunk. it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> Love it! Love it! I never, even as a kid, I never really got why... Megadroid was so down on Decap Attack. <laughs> I know it was all part of the identity of the strip and talking about how dumb and stupid it was and there was me cackling, wetting myself, <laughs> laughing at it. And I was like, why are you so mean? I've loved it and I'm sad <laughs> it's gonna end. I think I'd taken that on board from, I couldn't tell you where, but I think I'd very much taken on board the general running joke in British culture of weird crap. Yeah. Speedlines. <laughs> 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 What's in Speedlines this week, Dave? I do quite like the letter from Giovanni Lanny from Cowden Beef. I don't know where that is. Mm-hmm. Mega Drive owner, Sonic Water Fun game winner, who says, Dear STC, I think STC is great value for money. I get every issue that comes out but I have noticed that all of the pictures of Sonic are different in the comic strip. Could you please tell me why? <laughs> Just as a, as a riddle, I like this one. Because, you know, at first I thought, that it, you know what? What do you want? Do you just want one drawing? They just stamp it on. They just make a stamp out of one drawing <laughs> a of Sonic. single identical <laughs> matching image of Sonic in every panel. In every panel. I think Megadroid is right in his sort of puzzling out of the question that they mean the fact that there's different artists working on it. Presumably that's yeah, what they uh, mean. Maybe. I like to think that the guy behind Dinosaur Comics read this at an early age was like, hang on a minute, they're missing a trick here. <laughs> Well, Giovanni says Megadroid, you're quite observant, aren't you? But if you look even closer, you'll see that nearly each issue has a different artist drawing the strips. So that's why the style of drawing changes slightly. Well spotted, though. That's a strange one. Sorry, Giovanni, I don't mean to be rude. I like the open acknowledgement of the artists. Yes? A lesser comic might have had Sonic reply to the letters himself. We talked about this in episode one, but Sonic the comic, following in the style of 2000 AD, had the fictive editor in Megadroid, so they're still able to acknowledge that they are comic strips drawn and written by human people, and not, you know, just the real adventures of Sonic that are really happening, you know? Yeah. And I do like that. It treats the audience with respect. I'm going to show myself up for the monster that I am. The Sonic Sonnet that was sent in. Yeah, please, is, go ahead. at best, internally inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Jackson, Beckenham Kent, Mega Drive owner and Sonic Water Fun Game winner. If you're listening to this, I will fight you because this is <laughs> poor. I mean, you're going to have to give Bri- us a dramatic reading. You're going to have to give us a reading first of all. Okay, um, I'll do my my best Sonic voice. <clears throat> 
Sonic the Hedgehog was snoozing in the shade when that speed keyed. <laughs> when the big bad doctor came over to invade, Sonic the Hedgehog got real mad. He put on his shades and got real bad. Like that, he's gone. Okay, stop there. What? What? What does that yeah, mean? Dear. Does that mean he's about to do some really dark shit? <laughs> this isn't the Sonic Sonnet Minute. Let's finish the sonnet and go back over it. Carry on. <laughs> then said Dr. Robotnik, your day has come. But the doctor just laughed and finished his rum. Like, what? at what point? <laughs> oh. go, come on, finish it, guy, finish it. And as he finished, Sonic burst through the door. Again, not like, what door? And the doctor was crying, Sonic, do no more. So the doctor's evil scheme was reduced to zero. And all thanks to Sonic, the hero. Like it doesn't scan. That's like the <laughs> plot is all over the shop. There are doors when there were like... That rum was only in there to rhyme. Yeah. Uh, like... F*** you, Alex Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and if he's listening, Alex, please get in touch. <laughs> and in fact, no, no. If you're listening... Don't just get in touch. Record a diss track. <laughs> oh, is this where I finally get my beef? I've wanted online beef for <laughs> so long. Beef. I always mention the fan art, so I'll mention it here. We've got a drawing of um, the snazzy Robotnik alternate suit that Ed Hillier came up with in issue four, and he's standing there next to the Sonic robot from that. John O'Donovan from County Cork drew that. Sonic Water Fun game winner for that. And then there's a, a picture of... It's one of those ones that we keep getting a lot of, which is Sonic, but just dressed in different clothes. Uh, cool, Sonic. Yeah, and in this case, he's wearing a leather jacket and shades because it was the 90s, and that's what looking cool in the 90s was. No, I'm not 100% sure about the jorts. Yeah, that, that sort of... <laughs> I don't know if the image... Although, he does have patches of spikes on his shoulders, which I feel like adds an element of threat to he, the whole display. He's also got a bare chest with a cross <laughs> necklace, but I'm not sure whether that... Oh that, my god, is he that his does! Skin or, also, this suggests that Sonic is just nude all the time. Well, yeah, Sonic is nude all the yeah, time. Yeah, well, exactly, that's the thing. As soon as you put clothes on a, on a Mickey Mouse, yeah. it just... You become aware that he's nude, constantly. I've just realised Mickey Mouse does He does. Clothes. Yeah, he wears trousers. It's Donald who doesn't wear trousers. Yogi Bear's the problem. Like, he's wearing the vestments oh. of man, but not enough. <laughs> yes. Like, who did he maul to get that jacket? Oh, that's why he's inhabited by the spirit of the man who killed. That's why he can talk. Oh. <laughs> so the guy was going through Jellystone Park going, Oh, I'm really looking forward to my lunch. And then he got <laughs> killed by a bear. I'm enjoying being alive. He's a tormented spirit who went to the park for a picnic, but he was killed by a bear before he got the chance, and now he is condemned to walk the earth in the body of the bear that consumed him in the search of for that picnics. picnic yeah. that he was denied in life. <laughs> Richard Hopkins from Bolton, Lancashire, here asks whether or not Kid Chameleon or Streets of Rage has replaced Golden Axe, which is a redundant mm. question anyway, because Richard, Golden Axe was the third strip in the comic, therefore Streets of Rage has replaced it. Keep up. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, as a concept, it's a bit abstract, isn't it? Yeah, but then Megadroid says Golden Axe is due to return to the page soon, but he says each story except Sonic usually runs for about seven issues. And there you like, go. No, it doesn't. It oh. runs for six. Oh. You're just saying seven because Wonder Boy ran for eight, so you feel you have to split the difference and <laughs> give an average. 
But every story's going to run for six going forward. I mean, forward. six is about seven. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel at this point that we must mention Jamie McDonald from Swanage in Dorset because it's the only remaining letter that we haven't commented on. Yes, and he spotted the bits of uh, Sonic's half-eaten body and the copy of Sonic the Comics sitting around Grimmoman's throne in issue seven of Wonder Boy. That's right. And Megadroid says, well, Jamie, you were one of a large number of eagle-eyed boomers who spotted Sonic's decapitated head, so that's me told... I was feeling all clever that we noticed those. <laughs> and that's the end of issue number 11. What's coming up in issue number 12? Let's see. Uh, oh, it's the Halloween issue. Hey, welcome yes. to the Horror Zone, it says. On sale 30th of October. Welcome to the Horror Zone. Spooky! Sonic loses his memory. Scary! It's game over for Kid Chameleon. Sinister! Cop the dramatic conclusion to Streets of Rage. Skeletal! Skull-splitting humour with decap attack. Sit tight for Sonic the Comic number 12 special Halloween issue. And it's got a great big picture of decap attack with him holding up head with the top bit of his skull lopped off and a candle's poke. That was a cover, wasn't it? I really uh, recognise it. The cover mm. of the next issue, I believe. Yeah, yeah. well timed. Like we said last issue, well timed for Halloween with decap attack. Such a wonderfully yes. wobbly bat in the background as well. There's, again, like you said <laughs> about sort of real trapdoor vibes. And that brings us to the end of issue number 11. Guy, real pleasure to have you on. What was this little trip back in time like for you? Um, just utterly baffling, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it was delightful to be part of this. I'm glad you guys are doing it because I want to listen to it. Not to this episode, obviously. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's a really lovely, fun thing to be doing. And I'm just giddy with the ecstasy of being asked to take part. <laughs> People do seem quite happy to listen to this, don't they? Yeah. Top 30 on the UK iTunes arts charts. Pretty I mean, <laughs> take that rusty quill. That's right. We briefly <laughs> beat the Guardian book review. When I told that to my mum, she said, Oh, God, what did they review in the Guardian book review that week? <laughs> Thanks, Dave's mum. <laughs> Well, in the interim, when you're waiting for issue number 12, uh, <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, I am at Chris McFeely on Twitter, and you can also find me on YouTube. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave on Twitter and YouTube, and here and there. I'm at Brain Mage on Twitter. Um, if you like hearing me talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, then you'll love hearing me talk about how I wanted to kill myself for a large part of the past few years. I have made a show called Guy Kelly's Letter of Last Resort, which is a one-man comedy show about mental health, toxic mess and how close the world has come to nuclear war. When I performed it live, it sold out its run, had standing ovations each night, one person had a panic attack, several people cried. It's a comedy show. How do you access that? Uh, if you go on my Twitter page, you'll see there's a link to my coffee page, ko-fi forward slash Kelly, and for the mere price of £3, you can get a YouTube link to this show. Uh, I don't know why my wife is looking at me like that, but probably because I said £3 and she's from the north, which as far as I'm aware, is a week's wages. <laughs> I'm now getting the finger. <laughs> the look has progressed. <laughs> I left that in because I thought it was funny, but he's gone and made it free in the time since we recorded this. Give him a couple of quid anyway. If you liked our intro song, that was synchronised by Sonic the Comic The Band, and you can find it and them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. And we will see you all again in two weeks' time. Bye! Bye. Bye.